Hello and welcome to the No Pun Included podcast, the only board game podcast in the world to have their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow. I know. Uh, and actually, there's there's one more little factoid here that I'm really proud to bring up. I said, you know, it's a walk of fame, not uh-huh. a not a wall of fame. Uh-huh. W- why do you have hands on it? Can I have my foot on it? Uh-huh. And they said, absolutely no, you have to put your hand on it. And I said, well, I'm not going to. And I'm putting my foot down. Oh. And they said, ha ha, it's a funny joke. And they let me put my foot down. So oh. how will people high five you? How well, people high five the star? They can foot five me. Foot five you. Okay. Yeah. yeah there yeah. you go. They um, have to be wearing those feet shoes. In, indeed. Well, no, no. I mean, not necessarily. They, they can just. You, you can't high five someone with mittens. Mittens on your leg. Who wears mittens? <laughs> no, on, on their your leg? hand. Right. Okay. Well, that, they wouldn't high five me. They would feet five me. <laughs> Do you know there's a a, a a walk of fame in Birmingham too that that's, has like that's stars depressing. like Ozzy Osbourne and I think um, Noddy Holder as well. W- what a collection of people. <laughs> And maybe Jasper Carrot. Wow. I know, right? It's arguably the better Walk of Fame. I saw the Walk of Fame once. I looked at it on Google Maps because I was looking for, I think, Rod Serling's star. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crummy. There's a bit that's not crummy that's in, like, the lights and the brights of, you know, the town. And then it kind of peters Veers out like, <laughs> yeah, into, into in, this kind of really broken down where everything's closed and overgrown and there's like a mattress on the street you know it's, that's yeah. capitalism yeah i guess i bring you all the good facts on this show thank you very much today on the no pun included podcast we are going to be talking about some Ryder knizia games wow if you've not been following our youtube video output uh, you might not know that we recently put out a video called Reiner Knizia Special. The Reiner Knizia Special. Mm-hmm. So this is... Because this he is, is the Reiner Knizia. Yeah, and there was a joke about it, about part two of, of the video existing, which obviously doesn't exist because... Covering the rest of the 697 games. Because we have a history of promising a part do or part quadro <laughs> or whatever, whatever four is in French... <laughs> Sure, Quadro. Let's go with that. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, and they have historically not materialized. So we thought we'll make light of it. Uh, which actually, Elaine, if you don't mind, I very quickly uh, want to bring up what is the status of these things? Because mm. one of the most exhaustively asked questions we get is when is the <laughs> yeah. part two of the Arkham Horror video coming out? And uh, the second most exhaustively asked question is, when is the part, when is the Brass Birmingham video coming out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, and then, every so often, someone says, "What about more of the Pocket series?" Yeah. Which yeah. someone, by the way, on our Patreon Discord pointed out that uh, was very erroneously called a Pocket series because I'm I'm being very neglectful of clothing for women, which historically do not have very big pockets. In fact. None of the board games I portrayed in that series would fit in in clothing that is designed for women with in terms of pockets. You know, that's that's a problem with clothing, not with your naming. I know, but it's good to be inclusive of of all clothing styles but, and considerate, I mean. But clothing isn't inclusive. No, it's not. Right? And you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that. What That's about, what I'm like, saying. I I have quite a few man's shirt, man's in 
uh-huh. quotation mark shirts that are from yeah. like Top Man or whatever. Uh-huh. And I have perfectly cromulent pockets on them. Well, but that's still, you know, that doesn't allow you to go out and purchase anything you want and still feel comfortable about the size of your pockets, right? That's <laughs> that's the issue. I don't I, have that problem. I can purchase anything I want. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anywho, so uh, to address uh, the Arkham Horror uh, video, there will likely never be a part two. No. Uh, and I will explain why. Uh, so when we originally started that project, uh, we were very enthusiastic about it because we were enjoying uh, all the mm-hmm. uh, Arkham Horror. And then the project ballooned in terms of how much actually, you know, we underestimated how much work it was. So we decided, you know what, why don't we make a part one and then give ourselves time because we spent so much time working on it. Mm. We had to put out something. And despite it now being a very popular video that we've done, when it originally came out, it was not. It, in fact, was fairly lackluster in comparison to all our other output of the time and uh that was slightly demoralizing in compared to how much work we put into it the second thing that was much more demoralizing was some of the response that that video received initially which was very negative and negative from all sides uh fans of arkham horror the card game hardcore fans who were very obsessed about the game did not appreciate our opinions on the game uh and how we valued each scenario and so we just didn't enjoy listening to a lot of that and uh other people very rightly pointed out uh, why cover Lovecraft themed games at all? Mm. Considering mm. you know the man's dubious opinions uh, that are very well documented elsewhere. So we thought, you know what? Screw this, and uh, and and we didn't. We never followed it up, and we are probably never going to follow it up. In terms of Brass Birmingham, I guess it's a little bit simpler. We just uh, did a video on Brass Lancashire, and we felt like uh, if we did a video on Brass Birmingham, we would be repeating a lot of what yeah. we just already said. Plus, uh, there's there are other good Brass Birmingham videos on the internet. Already. Exactly. You should check, a, check out the Shut Up and Sit yeah. Down one. They did a pretty good job of covering that game. Saying that, though, I will be mentioning Brass Birmingham in a video that we'll be doing at some point in the not too distant future. Not immediate future, but, but not too distant future. But it won't be a review. And I'm very excited about that video. Uh, and finally, the Pocket Series. Uh, that one's also a lot simpler than the Arkham Horror one. Uh, the Pocket Series killed our algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, it was pretty much a disaster in terms of numbers, and that disaster started affecting everything else. So we we had to just nip that in the bud, despite us not wanting to, and very much enjoying ourselves with the time uh, making those videos and the response that those videos received. So despite us actually wanting to follow it up, and maybe we will follow it up at some point in the future, I don't know, I don't want to make any promises. Um, it was just a no-go. Uh, and and that's that. That's all of those questions answered sufficiently, I hope. If you did watch the Pocket series, thank you. Because we had some really lovely comments, actually, on all of the games that we covered. Indeed. Uh, I, I think those videos stand the test of time, and mm. I think they're pretty great. And it's sad that not a lot of people watch them, but uh, I enjoyed making them a lot. So if you haven't seen them, go check those out. Now that all the Reiner Knizia fans who don't know who we are, who know Pun Included, are, are sufficiently confused about what the hell is going on <laughs> in this podcast, why don't we talk about some Reiner Knizia games that 
ended up in the lightning round, but didn't quite make it into the into the video proper. And uh, we thought we'd give them some space here because they deserve it. Uh, Elaine, why don't we start with the big one? Uh, we we sort of briefly skimmed over it in the video, but I think it deserves uh, recognition here. How do you feel about Reiner Canizius' <laughs> seminal masterpiece, Tigris and Euphrates? Seminal masterpiece. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I find it very hard to talk about that game without talking about Yellow and Yangtze at the same time now. I know what you mean. Because they're very similar. They are nearly identical. Uh, and in fact, our discussion is probably going to be briefly skimming over Tigris and Euphrates, briefly skimming over Yellow and Yangtze, and then mostly talking about how they compare to each other. Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of merging the two a little bit. Well, okay, can, can I then uh, interrupt the mm. question that I posed to you? <laughs> sure. Uh, and, and say that Tigris and Euphrates is notorious for, for many reasons, but one of the main reasons it's notorious for is explaining how the game actually works. Most people really, really struggle to give a comprehensive, quick, succinct explanation. This is what Tigris and Euphrates is. This is how it works. And and I'm sitting here, you know, in front of this microphone, mm. realizing that there isn't a camera in front of me. Mm. You know, I can't even show people people the bits and the things, you know. But I think I've got this. So would you indulge me? Go ahead. In, in my explanation okay. of of what the hell Tigris and Euphrates is. Okay. So Tigris and Euphrates is an abstract tunnel lane game. Now, having said that, it is also very not abstract mm. in terms of how it tells a story. So I would pitch Tigris and Euphrates as pretty much Game of Thrones without <laughs> any thrones, but a lot of game. Not Game of Thrones the game. No. Game of Thrones the show. Game of the Thrones book. the show. Yeah. If you take the conceptual you know, 30-second explanation of what Game of Thrones is as a show, you know, uh -huh. what story it's trying to tell. I think Tigris and Euphrates is trying to tell a very similar story because it is a tile-laying game with a map where cities in ancient Babylonia keep popping up and they keep popping up by the virtue of you placing tiles, right? Yes. And those tiles are four different colors. There's red, there's black, there's blue, and there's green, and there's also disasters. Mm. Now, when you place those tiles... Uh, you're effectively uh, placing them in various places adjacent to other tiles that are already there on the map. And what springs out of them is states or cities, if you will, mm. you know? So anything that's adjacent to another thing is part of the same city. Everything that's not adjacent, you know, is, is a different city, mm. right? Now, when you place tiles by themselves, nothing happens. However, were you to position one of your leaders into a given city, if you place a tile that matches the color of your leader, you will get a victory point in that color. So let's say there is a city and it has blue tiles, red tiles, black tiles, and you also have a uh, black advisor, right? Which is, uh, or leader, or I, you know, I can't remember the exact terminology, doesn't matter, right? And you place another black tile in that city, you get a black victory yes. point. Right now, the objective of the game is to have the most victory points, but it's to have the most victory points of the least amount of type of victory points that you have. That's confusing. That is confusing. Let's let's explain that with an example. Let's say I have seven black victory points, four red victory points, three blue victory points, and eighteen green victory points. What what is my score? Uh, well, it's, it's not eighteen. It's not eighteen. It's four because that's the least 
I have in any given color, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's that's how that works. That's how you win the game. But the tenor of the game, I think, is explained very simply. Is that when you place a, a leader or advisor or whatever they're called into a city, uh, each of these colors represent like a different type of municipality. So it could mm -hmm. be economics or mm -hmm. war mm -hmm. or whatever, right? And then because your leader is there, it could be intermingling with other leaders from different players, right? But there's always only one leader of a type. So there's only ever one black leader in a city or only ever one red leader in a city. But you could have a black leader of mine or a red leader of yours, right? So when I place a black tile in that city and I have a black leader there, I will get a black victory point. So then Game of Thrones, the Tigris and Euphrates edition becomes a game about, you know, finagling your people in the right place and those people being there when the right opportunity presents themselves and then you place that tile and you go, ooh, you know, I've, I, I've, I've got a victory point out of it. And of course, there's a lot of friction and a lot of competition because you can, you can cause wars and you can, you know, push leaders out and install your own leaders. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a game that's defined by its ebb and flow. And the ebb and flow of Tigris and Euphrates is placing the tiles and feeling the rever reverberations of constant change. So I would like to review your description. Uh -huh. First of all, that was a fib. That was much longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, and second of all, I didn't get what difference that is. Like You could have been explaining Yellow Nyansi to me. Right, okay, well, no, but I was trying to explain the general, so it doesn't matter whether I was explaining yellow and yanked. But that's the point, isn't it? Like, yeah. th they are so close in what you do. The explanation for one mm -hmm. can almost be the explanation for the other. But did I not get a gist? No, did, did I? I you yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought what you said was very good, actually. Yeah, Thank five, you. Five stars. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, now, now, those of you who are now listening and are not familiar with this game and are sufficiently confused, please do not write in. I don't need your review. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, what Tigris and Euphrates represents is is that sort of like um, sense of of uncertainty, mm. but but also opportunity. You know, uh, there's this very scant few things you can do in that game. You can put a tile down. You can put a leader down. You can move a leader. You can move a leader. Mm -hmm. You can, you, can dis you can discard your hand, yeah. you know, of tiles and draw some new tiles. And, you know, and you, you have two actions each turn. And you, can, you can place two tiles. Yeah. You can move two leaders. You know, it, it, it's up to you. And, and, and each time you are presented with opportunity to do something, there's always options. You feel mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, if I move my leader here and then I place this tile, I'll get a victory point. You know, that's mm -hmm. nice. But now my leader is here. Yeah. You know, do I want them and to be here? it's not necessarily in the right place, yeah. Yeah. I, I, For me to lay more tiles to get more victory points. Because maybe I'm encroaching on this other city that's been built and maybe I will cause conflict. Exactly, right? And do I want to do that? Mm. And it, it is strangely a game about efficiency, but also it's efficiency in a constant state of, like, churn. You know, like, everything is always advancing and building and, and changing and warping. And decisions that you made 10 turns ago that might have seemed really, really smart are now coming back to bite you. And mm -hmm. and there's that lovely sense of tension. There's, there's other things happening in the game that we haven't described, like there's monuments. Yeah. So if, if you collect four tiles of the same color, 
they sort of transform and become this monument that's of two colors and then that monument gives you victory points at the end of the turn so that's more efficient so you want to do that but what if someone kicks you out and then your leader isn't there and you won't be getting the victory points there's a lot of stuff happening and it all feels quite constrictive and tight and precise mm. but yeah but having said that like saying that it's constrictive the, the thing that i noticed about both games is that the times that we've played it we've kind of started off because we've only ever played it two player i should mm-hmm, say that mm-hmm. we've started off in our own little patches mm-hmm. and these these places have been the most important places for us yeah right? and we started to build it up and build up and then we've encroached on each other because you're you're laying tiles every turn really like mm-hmm. there's, there's no reason why you wouldn't unless you wanted to swap them all out or whatever but you're laying tiles every turn so the you encroach on each other and then the kind of important areas of the map shift for you uh and you start taking over bits of the other person's land mm-hmm. and then you kind of a almost abandon some parts of what you've built because it's already given you your victory points. Yeah. And now it's just kind of fallow uh-huh. uh, because you're working towards something else. Uh, and I, I like that a lot about it, that it, it is a very dynamic game, that you're not always for the entire game concentrating on one area. And in that, it gives you kind of other things to think about. Like, are you building in the most efficient places? Where do you want to start to build? Because you can put down a tile almost anywhere, like there's Mm. some restriction, but almost anywhere. Are you building most efficiently? Are you leaving yourself open for attack? Are you leaving yourself open for being taken over? How are you moving your leaders around to be this kind of efficient? And how are you managing those, those victory points? Like, how are you making sure that you don't end up, like in your example, with 18 green cubes and four red or whatever it Uh was, right? And I think that is the biggest puzzle for me, is managing those different colours. I also want to make sure that what we get across is that we're talking about Tigris Euphrates as 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 a pretty strong vehicle for telling like stories of uh, rise and fall of power and yes. stuff like that. It's incredibly abstract. It is so very much a very very abstract game, and I think that goes to its strength because uh, when people read the rules for Tigers and Euphrates, I don't think they necessarily exactly expect what experience they're going to get out no. of it because it is it is fundamentally just a tile laying game on a map. On a map. Yeah. But the stuff that comes out of that is surprisingly robust, surprisingly dynamic, and surprisingly lends itself well to storytelling, right? Mm. And I invoke Game of Thrones. I know Game of Thrones is naff now, and whatever, right? But <laughs> but I invoked it deliberately because I think it has a similar scope for storytelling. It's just that, you know, there's no people with names or places or anything like that. It's just Tigris and Euphrates. You're in ancient Babylonia, you but know. you could be anywhere. Like, you could be anywhere. And in fact, on the moon. one of the things that uh, we probably should address is that the theming is quite strange in, in terms of like, uh, you know, they're both very specific geographic areas. Mm. And I wouldn't necessarily call them appropriative because I think in in all instances of both Tigris and Euphrates and Yellow and Yangtze, uh, the artwork is done quite respectfully and it doesn't seem exploitative culturally or anything like that. But it is very much a German man designing, you know, <laughs> abstract tile laying games and they they could be the Rhine and the Danube or something like that and it would be pretty much the same game could have done it between the Thames and the canal that runs alongside the Thames if he wanted to do it with two rivers there you go yeah absolutely yeah 
Uh, do you know what? Also, what? missed opportunity. Reiner's Rhein and Danube. Oh, that's true. Right? Oh, it's not really a missed opportunity, is it? <laughs> it's probably wow. best not. <laughs> wow. I thought it was a great idea. Uh, anyway, Five stars. Sh- shall, we, shall we jump on to Yellow and Yangtze and some of the differences that... Yes. And, and uh, here's uh, an important bit as to mm. why it's important to compare, to them, uh, compare them right now. It's because Tigers and Euphrates is an excellent game. Uh, it's also very desperately out of print. Yes. And uh, uh, I watched uh, our Discord, patron Discord community, uh, scramble to find Aww. copies once they realized, you know, some members realized how great a game it is. Because mm-hmm. I think they played it uh, on like a game night or something like mm-hmm. that. And they were like, this game is amazing. Where do I get a copy? Oh, wait, I can't. And I know some people found like Italian copies of the Fantasy Fly game edition for like a reasonable price. But I think, I think even those are gone now. It is fairly language independent. It, yes. As long as you, like the actual gameplay is language mm. independent, as long as you knew what the colors kind of represented, yes, then it wouldn't matter. Here's the thing: if if you're listening to this and going, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to find myself a secondhand copy. Be very very aware that whilst you're looking on eBay, uh, some people tend to label uh, Tigris and Euphrates like they're selling posts mm-hmm. but what they're actually selling is euphrates and tigris which is also a reiner knizia game that exists which is also another take on tigris and euphrates <laughs> and it's rubbish i feel like he's got maybe a some kind kind of investment in this area for some reason i yeah i don't know why no well i think it was meant as like a follow-up you know but like a simplified follow-up to tigris sure, and euphrates yeah, okay. and he called it euphrates and tigris but he made a rubbish game um the immediate thing that i noticed different about yellow nancy when we played it is the uh, pyramids the structures because in Tigris and Euphrates, they are two different colours. Yes. So they will score you two different colour points. Based on which leaders you have. Based, right, yeah. exactly. Um, whereas in Yellow Nancy, they're just a single colour. But there are two of the majority of them. Yeah, and here's... So you're getting into the deep nitty gritty of it, right? Mm. For me, I think the most obvious difference is that the tiles are no longer squares, the hexagons. <laughs> Um, that kind of didn't bother me that much. Well, I think it's really important because it really changes the tenor of the game because a square only has four sides. A hexagon really? has six. Oh. No, okay, right. <laughs> oh, make fun no, of I me. Understand. But... I understand. I understand because it, it matters for how you build. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what is next to what and what is your leader next to. And there are a lot more opportunities with hexagons, which makes for a very loose game. Yes, it does. In comparison right. to Tigris you're and Euphrates. Right. And, and I think that changes the tenor. And you're right. I think the pagoda in Yellow and Yangtze compared to the monuments, I think, mm-hmm. in Tigris and okay, Euphrates. Sure. I think they changed the game significantly and are not necessarily a good change depending on the player count. But uh, to me, the most immediate thing is, w- w- well, first of all, there's now five different colors, mm-hmm. five different leaders. Um, there's hexagons and placing tiles and leaders. They all have now different powers yes. and abilities. And a green color isn't just a different type of victory point anymore. It actually does something. And that sounds a lot more exciting. And in some ways it is. But Tigris and Euphrates is already a notoriously difficult game to explain, mm. as exemplified by this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you did a great job. 
Thank you once again. I'm patting myself on the back as we speak. If you've played Tigris and Euphrates, then you're going to have no trouble understanding Yellow and Yangtze at all. Yes, but if you haven't played Tigris and Euphrates, Yellow and Yangtze might be a barrier. It depends how how many board games generally I think you've played. If you have the concept in your head of tile laying already, if you have uh, area control in your head already, if you have, you know, all those like gaining victory points and managing your your kind of hand, I guess, um, then... I don't think you'll have too much of an issue. No, that's very true. And there's another great way of learning this game that I'll touch on a little bit later mm. uh, towards the end of our discussion. But Yellow and Yangtze immediately positions itself as a, as a more exciting game. There's more happening. There's mm-hmm. more going on. There's more colors. There's more to consider because each tile placement produces a different effect. That's really, really nice. But um, so the first thing that doesn't work for me with uh, Yellow and Yangtze is that it's a rubbish two-player game. Uh, whereas Tigris and Euphrates is an excellent two-player game. It's much stronger at two. But I think that's, like you were saying, about to do with the squares versus the hexagons. Yeah, Yeah. so first of all, uh, we we touched on the monuments in Tigris and Euphrates. If you build four squares of the same color next to each other, you know, in a square pattern, you get to build a monument. It'll score you extra points if you have your leaders there. Uh, Same is true here, but you only need three hexagons, which are easier to place next to each other. And you get a pagoda, it's only of one color, but there's more of these pagodas out there. Mm-hmm. And in a two-player game, there's just too many pagodas. Because <laughs> because what happens is that one player surrounds themselves with uh, four of the five different pagodas. The other player surrounds themselves with four of the five different pagodas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fifth pagoda, which is only one of, but it's arguably the most precious one, because it gives you yellow victory points. And yellow victory points do not count as the other victory points, because they add to your missing victory yeah, points they're like a wild card yeah exactly so they're very good and there's only one of those pagodas and everyone's going to be fighting over that but by by the time everyone's built up and suddenly one person picks up the yellow pagoda uh which isn't easy because there's the yellow tiles are the least yeah. amount of tiles uh-huh. you have in the game that's sort of when the conflict kicks in a little bit and then, you know, the the lines will be drawn eventually and the sides will be picked eventually. And at some point, conflict will happen in the game. It was a game in two acts. Yeah. Once. It was the, the build-up act and then the conflict act. Mm. Having said that, you know, it's still... So there is there is also a variant for two players in the Yellow mm. and Yangtze box, which has just removed 24 tiles from the game okay. for a shorter game, which does make it shorter, but it still makes it the same amount of flabby, I think. I, I'm not sure I would like that because I quite liked knowing how many tiles of each there were in the bag. If you remove 24 random tiles... I think it's random. I need to double check that, but I think it's random. Then you could accidentally remove every almost every yellow tile or something like this and then you'd be in a mess and i just double checked and they're they they are indeed random uh in a two-player game which feels very bizarre because you might accidentally it's unlikely but you might accidentally remove all the yellow tiles from the game (laughs) how does that work then so yeah it's it's a slightly weaker flabbier game but that's not necessarily a bad thing because someone might be looking for a more sort of a... <laughs> I, I would like a flabby again, please. I enjoy Tigris and Euphrates, but it's not flabby enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I mean. I mean, like, it's more demure, you know? Yeah. It's it's slightly more relaxed, slightly more easygoing. You get to build your own little thing. You get to put your pagoda down. Uh-huh. And then someone eventually will come and take away your pagoda. See, but that- 
but it won't be like there and then right. it's not like immediate conflict but i think that's one of the things i like about tigris and euphrates like how clear things are when someone does something and sure. you go yikes that's oh, not you. good <laughs> i liked in in tigris and euphrates the fact that the, the structures there was only one of each so they were two colours, but there was one of each. So if you had your eye on one and then someone else took it, that was it. It was gone. Yeah. And I think making making them an individual colour um, and making two of them, even for a two-player game, makes it, I guess, friendlier um, because you're not necessarily competing for it. But it does, you're right, it does make it feel looser. Mm. I I do like that Yellow and Yangtze introduces all these like individual powers, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, so you can for example destroy someone's pagoda or or by destroying a tile. And destroying a tile is a possibility in Tigris and Euphrates, but it's very much set to the number of times you can do it per mm. game. Whereas in Yellow and Yangtze, it's just a power that you have depending on what tiles you have drawn yeah and i i think that's pretty neat because it it gives you the agency of how you're going to deploy these tiles do because you can only do it with blue tiles yeah. but uh blue tiles are kind of rarer so you want to place them because you want those blue victory points because it's hard to get blue victory points uh, but then maybe you can make a pretty good move with them, you know. And also it's harder to place a blue pagoda because you can only place blue tiles. I think they're fishermen or something. Or I think they're meant to be farmers, yeah. Farmers. You can only place them on the river, mm -hmm. on the river spaces. So, mm -hmm. And there, are, I think there are, I think, three spaces where you could build a pagoda, three together. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise the river is just individual tiles going down the board. So it is harder to, to build a blue pagoda. And then you can also use blue to destroy a tile. Like, yeah. I think that, that synergy is quite nice because it's not it doesn't feel all over the place. Like mm. the blue always does things with tiles or or it's you, do you know what I mean? You I know what you I mean? mean. Yeah. There there's there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of decisions. And it, on top of that, you can place with one action as many blue tiles as you like, whereas yeah. all the other tiles you can only place one. Yes. Right? So the yes. blue tiles are incredibly versatile. And yeah. how you use them is, you know, a, a tricky puzzle. It's just that I wish that a puzzle was more constricted by the map and mm. player count, honestly. And, and it is quite constricted because you can only place blue on river. That's a constriction. Well, no, with blue, yes. But I mean in, oh, general, in general, because, yeah, like, it, it, it's a nice element of the puzzle, but the puzzle as a whole doesn't feel as cohesive as, mm. as the previous iteration. Mm. Having said that, there's one more thing I want to say about Tigris and Euphrates yes. and Yellow and Yangtze, is that Yellow and Yangtze has an app. And I know Tigris and Euphrates used to have an app, but the app implementation of Yellow and Yangtze is frankly stunning. Not an app for the game. Like no. You don't need an app to play the board game. No, it's a it's the app version of the board game. Yes, sorry. And it's done really, really well. It's done by Direwolf Digital, who also did the Root app. And if you're familiar with the Root app... Oh, it's lush. Yeah, Yellow Niangs is the same kind of very elaborate and gussied up kind of approach. Uh, and it has a great tutorial to oh. teach you how to play Yellow and Yangtze. And it also has a campaign mode where it's like, you know, different situations that are presented to you. I didn't feel that was particularly strong, but it's nice because it sort of takes you through the strategies of the game mm -hmm. and, and shows you, hey, this is how you can play. This is another way how you can play, you know, explore all these possibilities of this game. Uh, I felt like that was pretty nice and I was pretty impressed with it. 
And out of all of the versions of Tigris and Euphrates and Yellow and Yangtze, currently this would be the version I would recommend if you're going to play either two-player because picking up two copies of the Yellow and Yangtze app is still cheaper than picking up the board game itself. Or alternatively, what's important to know is that the state of both of these games is very precarious right now because Tigris and Euphrates is out of print, so it's very expensive. Yellow and Yangtze is going out of print because the publisher that printed Yellow and Yangtze lost the license. And there was going to be an expansion for Yellow and Yangtze that is now never going to materialize unless it is going to materialize for a different publisher. (laughs) But will then the artwork be the same? And will it match? uh, Like, do you need to get a new copy of Yellow and Yangtze to Mm. get the... Will there be an expansion? Nobody knows. We do not have answers for these things. And therefore, the safest thing to do is to buy the app because it's the cheapest one. Uh, Can you play it with other people? You can play it. If I had a copy of the app and you had a copy of the app, can I play it with you? I believe so, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, although do check, please. Regardless, I think Rhino Canizia really achieved something with these games. They're tremendous. And I would recommend them to anyone where you're able to play and or get it. talk about a game that you have played that i have not played well let's talk about rhino canizia's raw are they all called like rhino canizia something well it's it's you know it's like rhino canizia's rhine and danube uh-huh. and then you know, it's rhino Ra reiner <laughs> oh no canizia's raw so that works this is a, a wonderful uh, game of auctions that Reiner Kanitsa designed. It's a classic, once again. A lot of people are familiar with it. We we did uh, we chose modern art for our cover for mm-hmm. uh, Reiner Kanitsa coverage video out of his auction games, uh, mostly because I've already covered high society in video, but also because it's the most similar to how we see auctions in like movies or TV mm-hmm. shows. It brings that excitement of the auction, you know. Raw is the total opposite of modern art. Uh, but that's not to say that it isn't exciting. I, I found it to be an excellent game uh, and I really enjoyed playing it. But it is it is nothing like modern art. It is Or high society. Or high society. It is the total opposite. Mm. It is a game of absolute restrictions of rags to not riches, but maybe slightly more rags. Um, <laughs> better rags. Yeah, slightly better rags, I slightly see. more comfortable rags. But it does present a lot of excitement. So it's once again a tile collecting game. It's not Uh a tile laying game. You have this massive bag of different kinds of tiles. And what you do with those tiles is you're trying to collect various sets. Mm -hmm. Now, the sets are a little bit more clever because, you know, they'll be like, uh, you'll get points, two points per every this tile that you have, but only if you have this other tile as well. I see. Or, you know, uh, get this tile or you'll score negative points. I see. Uh, you know, and, and so there's various like set collection propositions that are in front of you each round or even at the end of the game, right? So some will score you at the end of the round, some will score you at the end of the game. And 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 you're always trying to build this portfolio that is, I can only describe it as a tray of, an overflowing tray of very naff drinks, 
right? Like there's there's a bunch of sparkling water. There's maybe three cans of Pepsi and a Fanta and maybe a warm beer, you know, and and you're sort of like desperately trying to bring this tray to the table. And they're all stacked on top of another. And at any time, it could all fall apart. That's that's the feeling of the set collection in Ra. But you're not auctioning drinks, are you? What are you no, no, you're you're auctioning like civilizations or droughts or <laughs> irrigation right. or whatever. You're auctioning a drought. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. yeah. Right. So, so the, and droughts are like negative tiles. So the, the, you could get negative things as well. Mm-hmm. You could get, you could like uh, get things that are plagues that wipe away the tiles you've already collected. I see. Right. But here's the thing. So the way it works is that on your turn, you can pretty much do one of two things. Pretty much, right? It's either draw a tile from a bag and put it on the board or call an auction right now when you draw a tile it goes it goes in like a row and then in your player area no, no. in in a general in player a general area player. right it goes in a row right and say let's say i decided on my turn to draw a tile i draw mm-hmm. a tile and it's like oh that's like a draw i don't want that okay well whatever i don't have to do anything anymore because all i did on my turn was draw a tile the next person in clockwise clockwise ordered sides to call an auction or draw a tile Right, and they'll draw a tile and go, "Ooh, this tile's really great. This like civilization tile. I want it? You know, it's part of my collection. Uh-huh, I need uh-huh. it. Right, great. But I've already drawn tiles, so I can't do anything sure. about it. Right. And then the next person decides to either call an auction or, and and it keeps going until sure. someone calls an auction for it. Right. And then whoever wins the auction has to take all of these tiles. Good, bad. Right. Everything. So you don't call an auction for an individual tile, you call an auction for the what's laid out. Yes, okay. exactly. And there's a really nice push your luck element here, because what's happening is that y- you could call an auction for this thing, mm. but you don't know, even if you do call an auction, first of all, you don't know whether you're going to win it, uh-huh. because you still have to, you know... Uh-huh participate in an auction for it but also you might not know what gets drawn later like the the offering of tiles might not seem impressive enough to waste any money on Mm -hmm. right but if you don't do it now what's the what is the offering later maybe it has a tile you really really need and you're waiting and maybe more negative things will come out exactly Uh right or maybe you'll use all your money on this auction and then, and it, with these not very good tiles, and then later on, something you really need will come out, and you don't have any money left. Exactly to bid. I yeah, see. it. It. it I, I deliberately didn't ask you to play this game because I think it would, it would be incredibly stressful for you. I know you don't love all auction games. No. And and does this sound like a nightmare so far? A little bit. The the thing with modern art, the difference for me, I I enjoy modern art a lot. The, mm-hmm. the difference for me there was that there's different types of auctions. So the one that that I don't mind is where, you know, you kind of go back and forth, like the the Hollywood auction, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. The ones that I don't like are the hidden auctions where you put some money in your hand and then you reveal it because I can I never know I can't do the maths quick enough to work out how much this thing is worth Mm. so I always totally overbid or totally underbid um so this doesn't sound too bad is it a hidden auction no uh, I've I've sort of I've buried the lead Uh right I've buried two leads actually so so far it sounds fine. Okay. So th- lead number one, yeah. right? Um, you have free tokens, right, that you can bid with. Those mm-hmm. tokens will range value anywhere between 1 and 13. Uh-huh. What you get for the round 
for the first round is totally random and it's it's a one-time offer uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so like if i call an auction then the person to the left of me will yeah. get to better pass yeah then the next person bit higher pass bit higher pass and then it comes to me as the person who called the auction yeah and then i i can bid higher than anyone yeah or just just pass and let someone else have it right i see now let's say someone's bid two someone's bid five mm-hmm. and now like i don't have a six or a seven or an eight i have a nine right i could bid this nine and probably win it but when i bid with that nine that nine w- will go into the pool of the next auction and whoever wins the next auction will get your nine will get my nine for the next round what? right because you only you only have three bids around oh Oh, blimey. Right? Right. You only have three bids around. That's it. So you don't have a lot of options. No. And you might have a great tile. Like, it has a lot of bidding power, but then you lose it and you give it to someone else. Is that yeah, fun? Who knows? Uh, That's a different type of auction again. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But here is one final kicker, uh-huh. right? And this is what makes the game for me, right? There is one final tile that I haven't described. Oh, no. And if you draw that tile... An auction immediately gets called. Uh-huh. D- doesn't matter. No mm-hmm. one has a choice in it. Mm-hmm. It's just now it's auction time. And it's it's just so unpredictable. And you never get what you want in this Is there game. only one of those tiles in the game? Oh, no. There's no. loads of them. <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> they happen all the time. <laughs> I see. It's how far will you push your luck? Okay, now I hate it. <laughs> now, now it's giving me the jitters, honestly. <laughs> I don't like games where I don't know where I stand. Yeah. No, you you never know where you stand. Or I might get a slap in the face at any point. But you know what? I think it's funny because it's so consistent punishing that (laughs) that no one no one gets what they want and like i I, you know i did one of those horrible cliched board game things the last time i played this game uh with uh with once again a patron discord community and i i said i think i'm doing very badly and then i won (laughs) because i under like i underestimated that everyone was doing badly Uh, right yeah like I, I I looked at my board and I was like, this is awful. This is total, total junk, right? I've collected nothing. Turns out other people collected even less. Mm. And and I think, you know, what's great about Ra is that it does present you these sort of like really niche opportunities to pull off something incredulous, right? So when when you do end up doing something great in this game, it feels really great because it's like, wow, how did that even happen? And I, I like that. I like that feeling. You don't have to be good. You just have to be better than everyone else. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Oh. Um, that's raw. I, once again, would heartily recommend it to everyone. And once again, it's out of print. Why, why are you doing this? I don't know. Is there an app? I not to the best of my knowledge. Okay. Uh, but what I will say is that I know that the license to Raw has bounced and another uh-huh. publisher has picked it up and someone is doing the artwork for it, which I'm not sure is public information. Okay. So I'm not sure I can say, okay. but I think people should get excited. So there you go. Is it you? Are you doing the Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to draw some squiggles. It's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be like modern art, but raw. Nice. <laughs> uh, no, it's not me. Uh, but I am excited about it. Uh, I, I do own the 
fantasy flight version. I'm probably, uh, you know, not going to get rid of it now. Now that I have it, there's no reason to buy another game uh, of the same game. It's not like modern art <laughs> where I bought 17 <laughs> billion copies. <laughs> but Ra's pretty great. And if you hang on a little bit, uh, you might get yourself a pretty nifty game sometime in the future whenever it gets published. Well, thank you for your advice, Efka. Thank you, Elaine. <laughs> Just jumping over the last hurdle and coming in last in our podcast episode, but not last in our hearts, is Winner's Circle. Now, this is more of a public service announcement, really, than anything else. Once again, Winner's Circle is a Ryan Knizia game that is probably out of print. Uh, <laughs> and I wouldn't jump to recommend oh, jump. it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. To, to everyone necessarily, but I think... Nay. <laughs> I think Winner's Circle has been summarily overlooked by the board game community and is one of those hidden gems that deserves more attention. So this is a very old Reiner Knizia game. It's a game about... <sighs> Horse racing, I think I've already expressed my distaste for it in the video, and uh, I can only double down on that. Uh, do not support or condone horse racing in any way. And every time the Royal Ascot happens, I become very sad. But when it happened last year during the start of the pandemic, it generally made me just so furious about it. It's like, why are people risking other people's lives to go watch some horses being tortured i you know i'm sorry i'm getting upset do you right feel now. better now yeah a little bit that. yeah i i do feel a little better about that thank you very much okay so a winner's circle it's a game about horse racing but aside from that it's a pretty exciting game uh mm. so i own the korean dice tree games version they do ship games worldwide i believe so you can get it it's just that you will have to ship it from korea so it won't be cheap. They do go to the big cons as well. They do go so, to Essen Spiel. Yeah. If you're going, they'll probably be there. I don't know what the current state of no, uh, Winner's no, Circle of is or whether uh, anyone from Dice Street Games will be going to Spiel this year. You know, check the website. Uh, I think they have information. They do do the nice modern art version mm. that I quite enjoyed having with the giant gavel, which, again, <laughs> you might have seen in our video. But but they also do win a circle. And, and if, if you are going to get yourself modern art from them, I would recommend also in, into that shopping cart putting Winner's Circle if you have the need for a board game that is a great introduction to board games. So it, it is once again sort of like an auction game, but it's not quite an auction because what you're doing is you're bidding on... Which of the many horses, I think there's seven, seven sure. horses, yeah. Which of the seven horses is going to come first, second, and third, right? Yeah, and so you're not playing a horse or yes. controlling a horse. Well, you're controlling all of the horses, right. actually. Right, right. Uh, the reason, I, I, I did this terrible injustice on, on the video because I said this is basically like a roll and move game, <laughs> which is not untrue, but it also you know, brings up all kinds of negative connotations. And one of the great things about Winner's Circle is that it's a roll and move game that's not bunk, right? Like mm. genuinely great because it works. Because one of the easiest ways to explain board games to people is to say, you roll a die and the thing moves that many spaces. Yeah, And, and it's a mechanism that people everyone already knows that's played any board game ever yeah right? but this is a game that makes that mechanism right. interesting uh -huh. right because the the die does not depict a number 
the dye depicts either a horse face or a horseshoe or a jockey or something like that, right? There's four different symbols, right? And basically, each horse in the game gets dealt a card, right? And that card will have four different values. And those four different values will correspond to the symbols on the die. But those values will be different between different horses. So, for example, the horse face symbol on horse number four might have a value of two. But the horse face symbol on horse number seven might have a value of 12, mm -hmm. right? And, and what you do when you roll the die, you choose which horse to move, but you will only move it the number of spaces that corresponds to the symbol on the die yeah. as corroborated by the horse's card. So if I choose, uh, or let's say, let's say I roll a horseshoe and I want to move horse number five, I will look at horse number five's card. And if the horseshoe says move seven spaces, I will move that horse seven spaces. Now, the problem with that is that once I move that horse, I will have to flip that card over and it will not unflip until all the other cards have been flipped down yeah. and all the horses have moved. So I don't necessarily have to move the horse that I want to come first or second or third because I bid that it will. And so if they will, I'll get a bunch of points. I get a bunch of money and that's what's going to win me the game, right? So I want to position horses in the right way. But also, because the probabilities of the die aren't quite even, some results come up more often than others, I need to be aware of how the other horses that I don't want to win are going to move. Mm. So I could, if I roll a horseshoe, and there's a, a horse that I really don't want to win, and is you know that horse is gaining a lead, you know, and if the horseshoe on that horse says... It's only going to move one space. It might be in my best interest to move that horse one space. And then everyone else on the table will start hating you. I thought that was a pretty good explanation. Thank of, you. Of in a circle. Yeah. Yeah, that, because that's it. That's basically that's... the entire game is, is moving horses and either trying to move horses that you want to move or horses that you don't want to move to sabotage <laughs> uh -huh. others' bets. It reminds me, I, so when I was a kid um, at the seaside, there was a horse racing game where mm -hmm. you would you would put a bet on one of the eight horses mm -hmm. and like the, the, I can't remember what the colours were, but maybe like pink was 10 pence per bet. But black was a pound per bet and it went up and up and up. So black would pay out more, right? mm. but it would also win less. Yeah. Right. And, and, and pink would pay out far less, but it would win more. Mm. And it kind of, the game reminded me of that because it's that, that toss up between what you're moving and when and how yeah. frequently the, the dice will roll what you want it to roll or, or won't roll what you want it to roll. It is a roll and move game, right? I understand mm. that. But that that randomness, I think, really, really lends itself well to this game. Because in a real horse racing yeah. or whatever, you don't know which horse is going to win. Mm. Right? Do you understand? Yeah, 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 there yeah. is a randomness to Oh, to absolutely. The yeah. A horse might fall down or yeah. it might just be slower that day than it normally is. Like, you don't know. Well, it's a spectacle game. Because, it really is. Because yeah. it works 
best when you have the highest player count. And I can't remember whether it's five or six players sure. maximum, but you really want like like that number. You know, you want a high number of people because two things happen. First of all, the game is genuinely funny mm. because things happen that you don't want to happen <laughs> and people groan and people get upset, uh-huh. you know, and, and this, this cheerfulness at the table that the game engenders. But also you start forming relationships with people because you have vested vested interests in the same horses uh, yeah, with yeah, some yeah. people and you you have uh, completely conflicting interests with also those same people right yeah, uh-huh. and and you have these relationships with people across the table and with one person you might have totally conflicting relationships and it's like the biggest distance between you and them right and <laughs> and then you have some some mutual relationships with a few people but not necessarily and it's just great there's a lot of like interaction yeah interaction and and weirdness and so, it's sometimes you might have like almost everyone bid on one horse and go yeah that horse is gonna win and everyone's like okay yeah that horse is gonna win right but then you realize you're all in the same boat and someone's already doing well and how do how do we pull away from that Uh maybe Uh we sabotage our own chance of of getting money by making the horse that everyone wants to win tank you it's just it's so weird and strange and it creates these wonky dynamics that aren't exactly uh, solid they're more like fluid and less tangible but because of that there's just like a lot of fun on the table yeah i love that moment when you go look 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 what i'm doing like i rolled this this is the amount of spaces i'm moving this remember this yeah because when you're rolling like remember what i did i helped you out right uh-huh. like this i love that maybe kind they don't of, want to help you no, out maybe they don't right yeah. but there's this kind of yeah. bargaining that you start doing with people um, and and I love that too. I love how it changes the game entirely. Yeah. Um, and we played this with my parents uh, one Christmas, and it went down a tree. Really I know, did. right? But I I equally played it with people who are really into games, and we just had a laugh and you know enjoyed yeah. ourselves. It's not the most solid game in the world, but it is so summarily overlooked. I think, I, and mostly because there isn't. I don't think there's an English printing that's readily available, apart from one that's quite old. You know, mm. but even if you can find that somewhere. For cheap on ebay i'd say go ahead for it you know like just just treat yourself because you'll be surprised by how great this game is it does look dinky as all heck it is not the best looker in the world even even the <laughs> the dice tree games version isn't it looks like sabutio pretty much right <laughs> yeah I, I think we said the horses look like something you get out of a cracker yeah oh, yeah at christmas right? yeah they do they really um, do but you know not everything has to be about the looks it works well yeah it really does so that that's a very positive note to end on go on you, oh, well, you, i was gonna no i was gonna ask you like you don't like horse racing how no, do you feel I don't. about the tic-tac men what's the, at tic- the horse racing you know the help with the bets that do all the hand gestures to help with the bets what gambling how do i feel about gambling <laughs> i mean i feel great about gambling when it's at a board game but like I see, and okay. there's no actual money involved and that's why i like auction games but real life gambling is just a drag Thank you for the advice, Efka. Uh, you're very welcome. Here to put gambling down and I don't want to say Four put horses up. down. That's, no, no, that's not okay. That's not okay. That's not, <laughs> let's not get into that. That is a nice positive note though to end on. For mm. the circle. It's a it's a great game that, that you can pop out and play with anyone. Well, there you go. That's the conclusion to our Reiner Knizia special. Only 694 plus games to go. <laughs> Sweet. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more episodes on nopunincluded.com 
slash podcast where, where there's all the episodes. You can go there and you can pick one that you like or listen to all of them. Why not? Treat yourself. Uh, there's also a YouTube channel, uh, which is our primary bread and butter and cardboard at youtube.com slash no pun included. And if you like us a lot, you can always go join our Patreon community. You'll get access to our private Discord server. You'll get access to some bonus videos. My top 97 game series is still going. We just uh, released two more episodes in that. And I'm getting into the very good games now, Elaine. Nice. The games are becoming very, very good. They were good to begin with. Now they are now very they are good. Yeah, they and and the next episode that's just going to be like these are the games that are almost the best, but not quite the best. And then the one after that is going to be even better than that. You know. And if you're feeling really kind, you can leave us a rate rating on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I that hear apparently that. Really helps. Yeah, apparently that's the thing. Who knew? Or you can leave us a comment on our website also. No point included. slash podcast. Podcast. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, find the relevant episode that you want to leave a comment on. You can leave a comment there. Thank you very much for listening. Why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.